Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 126. Good, better, best. Never let it rest. So your good is better and your better is best. St. Jerome. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to a brand new year, 2017. I am your charged up and refreshed host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Distribber. Now, guys, I know that a lot of you have feature films out there and even short films out there and you want to make money with it. Now, I know a lot of you guys are trying to get distributors and trying to go down the traditional route and that might not work for everybody, you know, and, and, and majority of you won't get distribution deals because there's just a gluttony of product out there. But there is hope for everyone listening to this podcast. There's a company called Distribber and they are a company that allows you to directly submit your projects to Netflix, iTunes, Fandango, Hulu, Google Play, PlayStation, Xbox, Amazon Video, uh, and even more. I mean, they have over a hundred and uh, I think hundred and ten or hundred and twenty different places you can submit to, as well as traditional VOD outlets. Now, this company is a game changer, and they are a disruptor. And I'm going to be using them to help distribute. This is Meg. Coming up in the coming up in the new year, and uh, they're really affordable, and they can go directly to these companies. But there's a big difference between this and a traditional distributor. You keep 100% of the revenue. You also keep all the rights. You can submit to all of these different marketplaces at once, and they just give you access. They open the door where the door was closed for all of us before. Now, for more information about Distributor, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash sell my film. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash sell my film. And as I go through uh, the experience of selling This Is Meg, you guys will hear back of what happens with Distributor and what I can do. There's a lot of amazing stories and case studies of people doing very, very well with this pro this platform and trying to sell it directly as opposed to going through a distributor. So, IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash sell my film. And the show is also sponsored by Hollywood Camera Work. Now, guys, if you are interested in learning how to block or how to do any kind of staging or direction on how to move the camera, Hollywood Camera Work has the 
most insane course ever created for that. And it, they're kind of legendary. They've taught at ILM, Pixar, Disney, Warner Brothers, all the major studios, all the major television networks. It's They're crazy, and it's really, really amazing. And, and they also just came out with the, I mean, seriously, and I've taken this course, the Directing Actors, uh, Directing Actors, How to Direct Actors course. It is the most insane thing you have ever seen in your life. It goes through every aspect of how to direct actors, every form of getting a performance out of an actor, also how to do casting, how to set up rehearsals, the whole ball of wax. And they also have visual effects, a course on visual effects for directors. They have an awesome course called Hot Moves, The Science of Awesome. If you want to get really amazing, action-packed, kind of like Tony Scott or Michael Bay kind of moves, but those kind of like crazy moves that make your your uh, your movies look much more cinematic and much more awesome. Now, I have a special deal with uh, Hollywood Camera Work. You can get 30% off all courses, all apps, everything they have to offer by using the code HUSTLE. So go to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Hollywood Camera. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Hollywood Camera and use the coupon code Hustle to take advantage of this insane offer. So welcome back, guys. 2017 is here. Let's shake off 2016. I know it was uh, an interesting year to say the least, but we're here now and we're going to make 2017 an amazing year. And I want to start off the year with an episode of Ask Alex. I wanted to talk, answer questions from you guys. Uh, and uh, But before we get to that, there is a ton of stuff I want to talk to you guys about. First and foremost, to start off the new year in the Indie Film Hustle Film School, I've added probably around 20 to 30 brand new filmmaking courses covering every topic you can imagine. Uh, and there are a lot of them are on sale for 10 bucks. So head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash film school. Now, also, a bunch of those courses are in the Indie Film Syndicate, which I am offering one free month uh, for the next, uh, probably for the next week or so. Today's Tuesday, so it'll be done on Sunday. Head over to IndieFilmSyndicate.com and use the coupon code NEWYEAR2017, and you'll get your free month of the membership. Check things out. I just added a ton of new courses to the membership uh, and a lot of cool stuff happening in the Facebook group as well. So, guys... Are we going to make this a good year? Are we all going to follow through with our res- uh, resolutions? Because I know I've already started on some of my resolutions. And uh, I have a, a crazy amount of stuff I'm going to try to get done this year. And uh, it's going to be pretty nutty. And I can't wait to share all the news about This Is Meg. I do have some news, but I will let you know as soon as uh, I'm able to let you know. And I truly hope I see some of the tribe at Sundance this year because I will be going to do that workshop for Black Magic discussing This Is Meg and how I shot it, edited it, and colored it in Da Vinci uh, over at Slam Dance on Saturday, the first Saturday as well. I'll leave all that information in the show notes. Of course, if you want the show notes, uh, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 126. So let's get to answering some of your questions. So tribe member Colby asks, should filmmakers own their own gear? Should they, you know, get their own arsenal of stuff? Because the things change so much and cameras change so much and it's kind of waste to, to buy a new camera today because tomorrow there'll be a new one that you want. Well, this is my uh, my experience with that. I, I like to own my own gear. Uh, now, 
Uh, I don't have the most expensive gear. I don't have an Alexa sitting in the back uh, right now in my office, but uh, I have uh, a, a bunch of cameras that I own. I have my own lighting gear. I own a bunch of uh, different gear, but some things are going to last for a while. So like lighting gear, uh, lenses, things like that, those are going to last you. They're not going to be replaced as easily. Now, as far as cameras are concerned, try to buy something that has a lot of bang for your buck and it's going to last you for at least a year or two. Now, I'm also a big you know, Amazon and eBay seller. I sell everything. I, I, I barely have anything anymore. <laughs> Anytime I need cash, I just start selling stuff on Amazon and eBay. And uh, those, those camera gear, the camera gear and film gear always sells very well. It always has decent resale value. So make sure you get good stuff and you resell it later. The benefits of having your own gear is that you get to play with it. You get to test it. You know, I could easily go out and rent something much cheaper than owning it, but I have to go out and rent it. We have to get insurance, and then you only have it for the time that, you, that you're that you going to rent it for. Or you have your gear, and you can pick up and go whenever the hell you want. You can start doing tests. You can start shooting short films. You can start doing a lot of things. I'm a big advocate of owning your own gear. As you get bigger and farther along in your career, you might want to upgrade and buy other cameras later on. But then it turns into a business. So, you know, if you buy a $5,000 camera, are you going to be able to generate $5,000 in the next year off that camera? If you are, then it's a perfect business expenditure. No problem at all. Same thing with post-production equipment. You know, if you're able to generate so much money with that equipment, it makes sense to own it. Now, if you, you know, spending a little bit of money to buy your own camera gear and stuff like that, um, just to do your own projects, it's not that big of an investment. But the bigger the investment, the more return on that investment you should have, whether that is to shoot your feature film, which you are going to sell, or if you're going to be doing other kind of projects. So I hope that answers your question, Colby. Next question comes from Joseph, and he asks, when is the perfect time in pre-production for you to start casting? Well, I, I would start casting... Um, well, if once the money is in place, once you have a production to go that is a go, and you're not waiting for money for money to to drop or anything like that, uh, to be safe, I'm I'm trying to be safe here. There's many people who do it uh, many other ways, but the way I do it is once I know that there's money in place to make the movie, start pre start uh, start casting as soon as possible. You know, as long as you have, as soon as you have dates and money, that's the thing because you can't really cast without dates. Actors need to get things in their schedule. Agents need to schedule their clients. So you need dates and you need cash. And then everything else is back, you know, you, you go backwards from there. So once you have a date of production date, whether that's four, eight weeks ahead, 10 weeks ahead, whatever it is, you can start casting. Our next question comes from Hunter. And he asks, what advice would you give someone working with non-acting actors who are who will be getting little or no pay? Yeah, <laughs> that's a really great question, Hunter. Um, well, I've worked with non-actors in my career, and uh, and I've I've worked with actors who've got little or no pay. Um, it all depends on the human being. It all depends on the person you're dealing with. You could have a non-actor uh, who's really energetic, really wants to do the project, and life becomes a lot easier. When you have someone that you're not paying, uh, and again, these are non-actors. These are not just act- non-actors. These are people who are not actors. People who are not interested or doing you a favor, you're just asking for trouble because when you rev up the whole carnival, as they say, to bring out production and cameras and stuff, and you are, are, are really relying on a non-actor, a non-professional to do that, 
um, you're risking a lot because if you get that whole crew out there, you're paying other people or at least even wasting other people's time getting locations, moving out there to shoot you know, something and that actor doesn't show up or gives you attitude or doesn't want to do that non-actor gives you attitude, doesn't want to do it, you're hurting yourself and you're really shooting yourself in the foot because you're going to hurt relationships all around. Now, if you're doing something small at your house, very controlled, very this or that, doesn't really matter who shows up or doesn't show up, that's not that big of a deal. Um, To get them motivated is another question altogether. Again, it always depends on the human being and what their motivations are to do the project that they're doing with you. Now, one thing I always like to do, and I've learned this over the years, is you really got to pay people something. It's gas money, uh, gas and food money, something. If it's 25 bucks, if it's 50 bucks, it's something. It gives them a motivation to be there because they're going to get paid something. When you're paying somebody nothing, even for an opportunity or whatever, it really is, you're not going to get the best out of them no matter who they are, no matter what actors they are, no what kind of favors they're pulling for you. And that goes also for crew. You know, unless they're a really good buddy of yours or somebody who really wants to work with you and you know, you can trust them, I always want to give them at least some money for gas or for food or for something, you know, because that really helps them, motivates them to be there. So those that's my advice worth working with non-actors and with, uh, you know, non-union actors, if you will, uh, when working on an independent film project. Hunter also asks another really great question about uh, shooting a film, Guerrilla School. If I go to submit a film to contests and festivals, will I have a problem with people in, in public in the background shots? Would it make uh, would it, making the background more blurry or out of focus help? As far as working with background extras that are not uh, on your crew and you're just grabbing them, in documentary world, it's fine. You Even in documentaries, you should always get a release. But if you're going to uh, do that in a guerrilla style out in the world, which I've done, uh, always try to frame them out as much as you can. But if you can't, try to get them out of focus. If they're out of focus, no problem. The big thing is that you can't recognize them. You should always get a release or that you cannot recognize their face. You can shoot the back of their heads, uh, the side of their heads, as long as you cannot recognize their face. Again, always ask an attorney for uh, legal advice in regards to this because this is kind of a legal situation. Um, we did that with Meg. There was a scene where we were out in the world and there was um, a place where there was some extras, people that were walking around. And I made sure to frame them out as best I could. And then also when they passed, made sure to get the back of their heads. And if you get the back of their heads, you got extra production value because you got bodies there. But um, but you should be careful with it. I've heard multiple stories. Uh, you also ask if, if you have products in a store, should you need to um, get them out? Do you need to blur them out? I think I've answered this question before in the podcast, but I'll answer it again. Um, when you're dealing with product lines, if you can get them clean, great. If you're going to go to major distribution, they're going to want you to have those clean or uh, fixed in post, uh, but do not blur them out. That's horrible. That's like the worst thing you can do is blur out a logo in a feature film. It looks horrendous. So you either have to get them done properly with visual effects and paint them out or not have them there in the first place. That's one school of thought. Had another friend of mine who released a movie through a very big distributor. They had stuff all over the place. And as long as no one is like doing something derogatory with that product, so like let's say someone chokes on M&Ms, 
in the middle of the scene and M&Ms are all over the place and the logos are everywhere and, you know, the guy chokes and dies, M&M is probably not going to be real happy with that. So you got to be really, really careful when it comes to that. But movies like Clerks, you know, Kevin Smith's film, they shot on a convenience store. They shot on a video store and they talked about movies. Um, You know, this other guy shot a whole movie in Disney World with copyright problems everywhere and that got released. So there is, uh, there definitely look, uh, ask an attorney specifically, but I've heard different stories from different type of uh, filmmakers who've had both on both gambits that they need to clean it. And as long as nothing is being done poorly with it, they don't need to clean it. Now, the last question today is from tribe member Courtney. Courtney asks, uh, how important do you feel it is to shoot on film if you plan to go to the big festivals, uh, film festivals, hoping to get a distribution deal? Uh, that he took that he uh, took the Dove Simmons DVD class and that it stressed that you needed to shoot film, but that was also in the age of mini DV. So what do you suggest? He also says that uh, that she's looking for to shoot mostly 75% of the movie mixed with some digital footage that will cover about 25% of the movie. Now, Courtney, two questions. Uh, the first question is, is shooting on film necessary to get into big festivals, even if you want to get a big distribution deal? No. In today's world, absolutely not. It is not a necessity to shoot film anymore. 90% uh, of, of films or projects are shot digitally now. And uh, film is definitely not a, a prerequisite by any stretch of the imagination. Now, with that said, uh, Super 16, shooting Super 16 or shooting 35 millimeters, great. And it will give you something unique at a big film festival. Um, but at the end of the day, guys, it's just a format. And if you think just because you shot your movie on 35 millimeter, you've got a better chance of getting into Sundance or South by or any of these big festivals. Uh, the answer is no, they don't care. They really don't care. They want a good story. It's just, it's just a format. So Courtney, I I would suggest that I see that you're going to shoot like with an Aerie SR three. Great. You have to understand why you're shooting with film. Uh, you know, we sell obviously a masterclass on shooting super 16 and it's a very viable format. But there is a cost involved. There is a, a substantial cost involved. Uh, so you have to ask yourself the question, why are you shooting film? Do you want to because you want to shoot film? Because you want to get that experience? Do you, you know, is it your DP who's pushing you to shoot film because they want to shoot film? I don't know why the reason is, but you should ask yourself that question. Why, are, why do I need to shoot this on film? Is the story absolutely necessary to shot, be shot on film? The new movie Jackie that just got released was shot on Super 16 millimeter. It makes perfect sense aesthetically to shoot that film in Super 16 millimeter because of the time period they're trying to get, the vibe they're trying to get with the movie, the whole thing. It made sense. Same thing with The Wrestler. Same thing with Black Swan. Those were creative choices by the director, but that direct, those directors have a lot of money. If you're an independent, uh, independent filmmaker and don't have a lot of money, I would seriously consider shooting in a digital format because film is an unforgiving beast and you better know what you're doing and it's it, and it could eat up your budget so quick it'll make your head spin. So I would be much more inclined on shooting with an Alexa. If you afford if you can afford film, you can afford an Alexa. And you know if The Revenant and all these other big movies are shooting with an Alexa, I think your project would do very well as well with it and also the workflow is going to be a lot easier moving forward in post-production. 
if you've never shot film before and this is your first experience shooting film, I'd be very, very leery of it because I could just see it going downhill very, very, very quickly. I've seen it happen too many times. I've had many projects come through my doors that have done this specific thing, thinking that shooting on film would give them some sort of edge. It does not. It only gives you an edge if you've got a good story. If you have a good story, you can shoot it on your iPhone. It doesn't matter. It's all about story, guys. And if, if you are going to decide to shoot on film, try not to mix it with digital. It's not going to work really well. You know, if you're going to mix it with digital, just shoot digital. If you're going to shoot film, shoot all film. But mixing formats in any scope, by the way, and guys, this is a, this is a general note for everyone listening. Please, if you can, do not mix cameras or formats or platforms when shooting your independent movies. It drives me crazy as a post-production guy. You know, when you shoot an entire movie on Alexa and then you got GoPro, you know, for establishing shots. Are you kidding me? You know how hard that's going to be to try to match. It's actually impossible. (laughs) It's really impossible unless the DP really knows what they're doing. It's going to be extremely difficult. So please, for the love of God, don't mix formats. Try to shoot everything with the same camera. You can have two of the same camera, three of the same camera, but do not mix platforms. Don't shoot, you know, one with, you know, one camera's Canon, one camera's Sony, one camera's a red. Don't do that, guys, please. It really, really is rough. Unless you do extensive testing and you bring it in and you feel that you guys can cut it together and it's going to look good and the color grading is going to work, then maybe, you know, I've had experience with shooting Alexa and then they also throw in a black magic because aesthetically they're very similar uh, images and you won't be able to tell the difference with some pickup shots or something like that. But please don't do it. So that's it for this episode, guys. I hope you learned something. And if you want to submit your own questions, email me at ifhsubmissions at gmail.com. That's ifhsubmissions at gmail.com. And listen in if I see if I pick your question to be answered on the podcast. And if you want to get anything we talked about in this show, head over to indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 126 for the show notes. So guys, I wish you all an amazing 2017. I know it's going to be amazing for me. I I, I guarantee it because I'm going to bust my hump. I'm going to hustle like there's no hustling. If you guys think I've hustled now up until now, Wait until you see what I do in 2017. It's going to be crazy, and I wish you guys nothing but the best, and I know you guys will all get to your goals. You just got to do something small every day to get you closer to your goal because that consistency is what's going to get you to where you want to be. And also, we have a lot of awesome interviews coming up with some really cool guys uh, and gals that I've been talking to uh, during the holidays, I'm getting all those re- those interviews, uh, getting them all ready for you. So stay tuned for some awesome stuff coming up from Indie Film Hustle and the podcast. So as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? 
Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.